like to welcome you to this edition of Bookends, the monthly Meet the Author session from the Team Approach. My name is Susan Stamm, and I'm very pleased to welcome Julie Straw as our guest today on Bookends. We've had the pleasure of knowing and working with Julie for many, many years through our long association with Inscape Publishing, the publisher of the DISC model of behavior, which is a core part of our business here at the Team Approach. Last month on Bookends, we heard from Arnie Warren. Uh, Arnie wrote the only novel ever written on the DISC model of behavior, and um, over the weekend, we received some very sad news from Arnie's wife, Kathy, of Arnie's sudden and unexpected death. And uh, I wanted to share that with those of you on the call because I know a number of you were with us last month when we interviewed Arnie on March the 7th. And I also know a number of you on the call knew Arnie very well and, and had had the opportunity to um, to work with him. And so um, I, I pass that sad news along to you today. And and uh, remind you that if you are interested in hearing the interview of Arnie with Arnie uh, from March the 7th, that you can access that interview from our website, and we'll talk about where you can locate that interview just a little, just a few minutes. Um, this month, we are exploring the four-dimensional manager, which is also a disc book, but it has been written for a very different application, which of course is management. This book will help us to discover how to develop the most effective strategies for different kinds of people we find on our teams. Julie's book is full of coaching tips and ideas to increase our effectiveness and build more trusting and enduring relationships within our work teams. I'd like to introduce our guest, Julie Straw. Julie has been in the training and development industry for more than 25 years. She's worked in a variety of positions, including program development, sales and technical support training, and product development. In Julie's current role, she is overseeing a network of 2,200 trainers, coaches, consultants who deliver training to a wide variety of industries. Julie's goal is to help this diverse network succeed by providing tools to meet its evolving needs. This includes the growing family of DISC tools and programs that are published by Inscape Publishing, where she is the Vice President of Sales and Training. Julie is the chief architect of Inscape's Trainers a Community of Practice. She's been involved in creating Mindshare, which is a message board dialogue that uh, helps us with best practices and support, and also MindLab48, which is a two-day conference dedicated to honing the craft of training. Additionally, Julie is available to the Inscape Publishing Network for day-to-day -day support, coaching, and consultation, and we've personally appreciated all the support that Julie has provided to us here at the Team Approach through the years. Julie holds both bachelor's degree in education and also an MBA, and of course, she is the author of The Four-Dimensional Manager. Welcome to Bookends, Julie Straw. Well, thank you, Susan. <laughs> it's my pleasure to be here. Julie, as, um, as a DISC practitioner for many, many years, I just wanted to tell you how thrilled I am with, with this book, which to me seems to be just a wonderful, very practical field guide for managers who may have been introduced to DISC at some point, but need some support in implementing it day in and day out right there in the workplace. Um, yeah, uh, but I'd also like to say that the way you have written this book, even if a manager really doesn't have prior DISC knowledge, that they would be able to pick this book up and really find a lot of value from it. So yeah, I think so, Susan. We really tried to make it as widespread as possible. So yeah. whether you know DISC or not. Yes, I, I, that that. You know, it's wonderful to have a resource like that, and um, I think anyone picking it up would find that value. I, I was thinking that to set the stage today uh, for folks and, and give everybody a context, because I know some, some of the folks on the call have not had a chance to read your book yet, uh, you begin the book with the story of Eli. And um, I was wondering if you would maybe just kind of give us the context of, of the whole a book with this story, which I think really does a nice job of setting the stage. Would you read, read us about Eli? Yeah, let me, I'll, I'll tell you a little bit and then I'll read a, a short excerpt from it. Um, mm -hmm. The story of Eli is one that I think all of us as managers can relate to, and it's really the story of managing someone with very good intentions, but they don't really um, 
cause anyone to work more productively or respond in a positive way. And in this opening example, um, Eli is actually the, the manager of a reservation center, and they are extremely busy, more so than usual, and everybody was working overtime, taking fewer breaks, and uh, morale was staying pretty high. And throughout that whole busy time, when they got to the end of it, Eli um, really kind of took pause and said, what made this work well? Because everybody's been working extra hours and really pushing themselves. And he identified two people in his department that he really thought put forth extra effort. Um, he um, identified Lauren, and uh, Lauren brought in lunch. She surprised everybody by putting lunches in the conference room and kind of decorating it with balloons and making a party out of it. Um, and then Juanita was another contributor, and she volunteered to make a special schedule just to make sure that everybody had their fair share of breaks during this very busy time. So after the busy time, after the promotion, Eli, the manager, brought everybody together to really celebrate the group's efforts and to specifically acknowledge both Lauren and Juanita's special work. And he uh, very publicly announced to everyone that Lauren and Juanita have done a fabulous job, and without them we would never have been able to handle the calls this last month. You know, let's have a round of applause for Lauren and Juanita. And Lauren responded very favorably, you know, kind of pumping fists in the air, and woohoo, she loved the attention. Whereas Juanita smiled and said, thank you, and then left the room just a few minutes later. And uh, the next month, workload did return to normal. And as Eli was managing his team, he noticed that Lauren, the one who loved the public recognition, her call level was at an all-time high. But Juanita's had actually dropped significantly. And he really reflected on what could he have done that caused one person to respond very favorably and the other person to kind of withdraw. And he realized that he complimented them both in the same way, and both of them didn't respond in the same way. So it worked with one person, but not with the other. And that kind of sets the stage for our concept of managing people differently based on their behavioral style. Yeah, excellent. It was a great story to open the book with and, and set the stage. And you you also do a really nice portrait uh, in the beginning of the book of, of um you know, really the different DISC styles that, that can occur in the workplace and on any team. And you have um, this this portrait uh, of Anne's team, Anne is a manager, and um, she has four individuals on her team, and you paint a picture of those four individuals, which I think is just a nice overview if there happens to be anybody listening to uh, the call today or the podcast later on that doesn't have that DISC background. I was wondering if you would um, just paint that picture of, of those four individuals to help us understand, just get a quick sketch of the four styles. Sure. Um, let's call the manager. Her name is Anne, and she has four people that she is currently managing with their or a very unique person. Andy is uh, her person in order processing. And Andy tends to go over each and every item to make sure that it's right. He's extremely careful, but because of his carefulness, works sometimes stacks up behind him. Um, the second employee is Kathy, and Kathy is a marketing director. Kathy loves to launch new campaigns, but her initiative kind of fizzles out, and she gets real antsy when it comes time to look at the details and look at the implementation plan. Uh, Marie is the third employee on Anne's team, and uh, Anne reports that every time she walks past Marie's door, someone's pouring out his or her troubles. Um, she describes Marie's office as practically a counseling center. Mm -hmm. um, she's supposed to get in the budgets for the third quarter, and She's waiting for Marie's numbers for over a week because Marie's constantly got somebody in her office. And the fourth employee on Anne's team is Bart, uh, Bert. And Bert um, has run, he's responsible for running the production line, and he just began that job, and he has been making lots of big changes. Uh -oh. And Anne reports that, you know, some of his innovations are great, but quality is down because he just doesn't take the time to think things through all the way. So those are the four different people on her team. And I've never known anyone that exhibited any of those characteristics, so I'm so surprised. <laughs> uh, well, on, on page 19 of your book, 
You share two questions that reflect the way the four disc styles subconsciously see any situation that they happen to find themselves in. And as I read these two questions, I immediately recognized them as the basis for the Marston model, of which uh, disc, of course, is, is based. And these two questions are, number one, do I view the situation that I find myself in favorable or unfavorable? And number two, do I feel that I have power or control in this situation? And Julie, you talked a little bit about William Marston in, in your book, and I know that this was a really diversely talented man, kind of an interesting man, actually, mm-hmm. and he did just a number of different things. His accomplishment list was you know, really quite impressive, and I was wondering if you would be able to share with us just a little bit about William Marston and how we got from his research to where we are with DISC today and, and the various tools and, and, and models. I mean, how, what did Marston have to do with that? How did that all happen? Mm-hmm. Well, it, it actually goes all the way back to uh, 1928. Uh, William Marston actually published a book called The Emotions of Normal People. Now, we'd never get by with a title like that today, but what he meant was he was talking about the mentally healthy. He was not talking about the mentally ill, which there was a lot of research being done on the mentally ill, but he really focused on the mentally healthy, and he wanted to, um, he identified how people responded to the demands of their environment. Um, And the model that he presented, um, he really described two things, as as you talked about. He talked about how people perceive power, and I want you to kind of not judge the word power. Remember, this is Marston's body of work, and Mm -hmm. we've adapted the language over time, but in his original body of work, he identified um, power in terms of whether people felt they had control over their surroundings or not. And people who have control or feel like they have control over their surroundings tend to be more assertive and proactive. And that's out of which comes our, our D and our I styles. Mm-hmm. And then on the other hand, the um, S and the C styles, they really tend to perceive that they have they are less powerful than the environment. And I don't mean wimpy, mm-hmm. but they feel like they have little direct control over the environment, um, and they may be more adaptive and reactive. So those are kind of the key words on the S and C style in terms of power. The other dimension that you're describing, Susan, if you um, think of the horizontal dimension in the model, that's really talking about um, their perceived favorability of the environment. Mm -hmm. And the D and C styles, which are on the left side of the model, tend to perceive the environment as unfavorable, meaning they're resistant to changes, they're unwelcoming or skeptical, they question things. Mm -hmm. And on the other side of the model, the I and the S styles really tend to see the environment as favorable, meaning that they are accepting of changes, they are welcoming of changes, and they're more more friendly. So that kind of um, base kind of gave us the premise of the model. Um, Over the years, uh, we have certainly done a lot of research to better understand the model and build on the model. Um, We recognize that not all, you know, the terminology that Marston used in 1928, um, some people, we can make sense of that, but some people are, um, the terms powerful and less powerful, you really have to think of those terms in, in, in today's terminology, meaning we really have more control or less control over the environment, and then how welcoming or how receptive are we to those changes. So his model is really about perceived power and perceived favorability. Mm-hmm. How about a little bit about uh, some of Marston's other areas of, of interest, just to kind of give us a little sketch of, of him uh, in some of the other accomplishments that he had in his life? Well, he actually was um, a very accomplished person in terms of the research that he did. Um, He was a university professor for a number of years. He also, um, very unrelated to DISC, but he um, looked at this during the time during the 1930s. If uh, any of you were living at that time, there were a lot of comic books, and Marston looked at all the comic books and the characters that were portrayed and realized that um, they were all men. 
and uh, he really was a leader in terms of kind of equality for uh, women's rights and decided that young girls needed a role model in terms of comic book characters, and he created Wonder Woman. <laughs> oh, quite an interesting man, that's for mm-hmm. certain. He was, yeah. he was. But then we really appreciate his body of work. Um, although he did publish a book, he never created an assessment out of mm-hmm. that. So mm-hmm. the, the model is a powerful model from which a lot of work has been derived. Absolutely, that's for certain. In, in the in the next uh, large section um, of your your book, actually uh, uh, going backwards a little bit, in in the sixth chapter of your book, let's begin there. In the sixth chapter of your book, um, as I looked at that particular part of the book, I thought, wow, this really could be kind of a 101 course in how to manage the four styles, and I just thought it was just really great foundational information to, to build upon. Could you walk us through this a little bit and, and provide a, a, a tip, a couple of tips for each of the styles? Um, sure. When, when we talk about four-dimensional managing, we're talking about um, a manager using not only the style that comes to them naturally, which is probably one of the four styles, but really understanding and recognizing when they can use a different Um, style of managing based on the DISC model. And in Chapter 6, we give you um, kind of the basics of moving from a one-dimensional manager to four-dimensional managing. And just to give you an an overview, um, if you are um, managing an employee who has a high D response, um, Ds tend to do their best work when they are allowed to do things their own way. And as a manager, you really need to be direct and confident in expressing your expectations um, and be clear in your dealings with them. You don't want to tell them exactly how to do something, but you want to be very clear on what you're asking them to do, not how you want them to do it, and then really turn it over to them so that they can run with it. So keeping to the facts is important. Um, Giving them some written directions that you can refer to is also important, but keep it very short and sweet, very bulleted point. Um, When you're coaching a D employee, it's really important that you do that privately. They will not respond favorably if you um, publicly humiliate or redirect them, even if your intentions are good. And you really want to focus on the specifics with a D employee. Mm -hmm. Um, If you're managing an I employee, I's are... um, very enthusiastic. They are more people-oriented, um, fast-paced, uh, agreeable, and you really want to channel all of that enthusiasm and that optimism. They're wonderful in brainstorming sessions. Um, they tend to be uh, very flexible. They tend to come up with lots of ideas. They are highly motivated by social recognition. So going back to our opening sequence, Um, Lauren was probably a high eye and responded very favorably to the public um, recognition that that Eli gave her. Absolutely. Um, So communicating with a high eye, boy, they love to talk, so you better listen. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Taking them to lunch is a great great way to connect with them both on a personal level and a work level. Um, Checking in frequently is really important. I have a high eye employee, and we have what we call an end-of-the-day huddle, and It simply means that when I leave for the day, I make sure I stop by her office and check in with her and say, how did your day go? Any challenges? You know, thanks for all that you do for this or that, and really just checking in frequently. Um, With high eyes, you also really have to watch the time because they they can go on and on, (laughs) and they're not going to be watching the time, so that's your job. An S employee, um, S's I would describe as relaxed, friendly, cooperative, patient, and S's really want to help you. They don't want to lead. They want you to lead them. So you really need to be clear about your expectations, and you should not throw surprises or sudden changes um, to an S. They'll just get bombarded with that. Um, Recognize that relationships are really important to these people. So, again, giving them as much one-on-one time as you can, talking to them, asking for input, keeping the lines of communication open. The other thing with S employees is you really have to pay attention not to just what they say, but the tone of their voice or their body language, their kind of the whole style of behavior, because 
if you ask them how they are, <clears throat> they might say, I'm fine. <laughs> and that really doesn't mean fine at all. You really need to pay attention to the tone of voice and then really say, you know, what's going on? Talk to me. Um, C employee, C's tend to analyze uh, every decision and every direction, um, not just they don't want to just get it done, they want to get it done right. And they will spend the extra time to do it over and over again. So when you're managing a C employee, when you give them a task, <clears throat> you really want to give them as much background information and as much detail as possible, but then you also want to make sure that you give them um, a time or a schedule mm -hmm. because they will take more time than you ever imagined they would unless you give them some structure up front. Um, unlike an I and an S, a C does not want to have lunch with you. They would much rather eat in the, at their desk, get right down to business. They expect you to be um, precise, no chit-chat. When you do have to um, redirect or provide feedback for them, you want to really focus on the issues. You want to keep it very factual, um, not personal at all. They, they don't relate to that personal side of it. So that's how you can kind of move from a one-dimensional manager to a four-dimensional manager and really adapting your style. Julia, those are great strategies. And, um, uh, and one of the things that, you know, often comes up when you begin, you know, talking about this idea of being a four-dimensional manager and, you know, is, is the idea, of course, that we as individuals need to be very flexible and to meet the needs of these various style people that we find on our teams, sometimes people feel, you know, like maybe they are losing some of their personal integrity. Um, you know, have, you, have you ever encountered people that feel like, you know, when they're adapting, there's something about them that is not being honest? And how, how do you respond to, to that concern when people raise that kind of issue? Yeah, um, I think that it helps to start by recognizing that your management style um, hasn't always worked with everyone. So if you can reflect um, and think about an encounter that you had with an employee or someone that you were giving direction where things weren't going well and try to put yourself back in that situation and kind of think about that in terms of how did you provide direction um, and would have used, if you had used a different style, would that have possibly improved that interaction? Mm -hmm. um, we really stress that adapting doesn't mean that you're wishy-washy. It really means that you're choosing the most appropriate, effective way to address an employee in a particular situation. Um, adapting doesn't mean that you bend over backwards for your team. It means that you understand and respect each individual on your team. They all have special talents. They all have um, special limitations. They all have special roadblocks. They all have ways in which you can relate to them more effectively. And it's really about um, responding to the needs of each individual employee. It doesn't mean changing who you are. It doesn't mean asking them to change who they are. It just is you're changing your management style so that you are more in line with the individual that you're trying to provide direction to or delegate to or problem solve with or give feedback to or compliment. In some respects, it might be the ultimate act of courtesy. Um, to really yeah. be accommodating and, and really trying to be so concerned about the other person that you're really uh, looking out for them in this way and trying to make them comfortable. Yeah, I think that the easy way to manage is my way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But it, it, it's not always effective. You will be effective about 25% of the time. Right. Yeah. And if you do want to be more effective as a manager, then kind of hit the pause button and think about how should I be interacting with this individual based on their preferred style. Mm -hmm. So it is, it's meeting them, and that's what a good manager does. Excellent. Great. In, in the next very large section of your book, you take very uh, specific management skills, and you discuss the implementation um, depending on your style, and then you provide some excellent tips and coaching for how to use this particular skill with team members exhibiting each of the four styles. And I, this, this back part of the book is just so powerful and practical. Uh, and, and I know we're not going to be able to walk through all of them, um, 
I was wondering if, if we could take a look at uh, the chapter on delegating and if you could walk us through a bit of how you have uh, organized that information and um, you know help a, a manager be a four-dimensional manager when it comes to this particular skill. Mm-hmm. I will. You know, delegating is really um, probably one of the biggest jobs of a manager. And for new managers, um, the biggest hurdle to delegating is kind of the assumption that I can do this better myself. But you're not going to get a lot of work done if you don't delegate. So delegating is really getting the work done through others. And um, while your delegating style might work fine for some people, it's not going to work for other people. So we have identified uh, ways that you can delegate to a D, to an I, to an S, and to a C. Um, Do you want me to just highlight those? Yes, that'd be great. Yep, I can do that. So, again, let's let's start with our, our D employee. Um, remember that the D is the individual who's active, fast-paced, that uh, they perceive themselves to be more powerful than the environment, so they're um, assertive, uh, they're very proactive. When you're delegating to a D, um, first and foremost, you want to be very clear about the desired results. And I'm going to say that again because it's about the results. Mm-hmm. Don't give them detailed steps on how to achieve the results, but be very clear about the desired results. And then give them a deadline, and then kind of get out of their way. Yeah. So you really want to um, let them use their decision-making, let them work as autonomously as possible, but uh, let them figure out how to get the work done and let them work independently. And the only way you can accomplish that is if you're very clear about the desired results, you give them a deadline, and you can also clarify the limits of their authority so that they're not barging through the organization and demanding things of other people that they don't have any right to. So if you do those three things, then I think you really um, will see a lot of productivity from um, a high D. When you're delegating to an I employee, um, this employee is more people-oriented. Again, they're, they're the active, fast-paced, but they are uh, more people-focused. And with an eye, you want to make sure that this person understands the results that you expect and be firm about the time. You might want to set dates or checkpoints so that you're touching base with them so that they don't get off track at any point Um, because their biggest challenge really is self-discipline. I think that an eye can very easily get carried away with new ideas and they will lose sight of the original assignment. Mm -hmm. So while you want to allow them some creativity and recognize that they're going to probably involve others because of their high social need, um, you really want to make sure that they're staying on track. Good so idea. So just make sure that the expectations are understood. Make sure they have a plan and accept the fact that their plan is probably going to involve other people. Yeah. I'm delegating to an S. Um, our S's are, uh, again, more people-oriented, but they're probably more moderate-paced. They're more calm, careful. Um, S's really perceive the environment um, as uh, um, unfavorable, meaning they're a little more resistant and skeptical. So with an S, you want to provide a step-by-step explanation of what's required. Mm-hmm. So unlike a D where you're just going to say, this is the result I want to have at it, with an S, you probably want to give them the steps And you want to be available for follow-up and be able to answer questions for them. Um, You can help them get cooperation from others and present yourself as being very cooperative in the spirit of accomplishing this goal. But a high S really expects and wants you to spell it out for them. Tell me exactly what you want me to do. Tell me how you want to do it. We can have a dialogue about other possibilities, but they really want that guidance and that structure from you as a manager. Absolutely. And then lastly, delegating to a high C. Um, Remember, our high C is the person who is going to um, be more calm and careful. They're more logic-focused. They're probably a little questioning about things. And if you're delegating to someone who uses the C style, you want to make sure that you're providing a logical, accurate, precise description of exactly what you expect. And be sure that you include standards of quality in that. Um, Give them the overview of why this assignment is and how it fits in with the big picture in the organization so that they have a better understanding of the importance of completing the task on time and then make sure that you give them 
a timeline, a time frame, deadlines, and be firm with them about that. And then kind of get out of the way with them. Um, so you want to be really clear with them both in speaking and on paper. Um, and then get out of the way. Monitor their work, though, because you might have to tell them when it's time to stop. They may continue to check and recheck and analyze their work and do an, an additional analysis to make sure that the work is accurate. And you might end up having to point out that sometimes the biggest mistake that they can make is that they're not completing the task, that too much time is being spent on this task and, and we're, we're losing, you know, whether it's getting a product to market or getting a budget done on time, but they're, they're um, taking the time away from others. So they do great work. They're very, very diligent. And in terms of delegating, you just need to um, respect that but keep them on time. And you can you can really see as you share this from this particular chapter, uh, Julie, with us how instructive your your book your is really a field guide and how mm-hmm. you're really uh, taking the disc model and applying it to these very very specific skills. <clears throat> And how helpful that would be for for any manager to have that in their hand. Um, in your chapter on problem solving, you uh, you take a look at some of the kinds of problem solving behavior a manager might find on their own team. Uh, things like ignoring important details, not taking time to study the problem. Imagine that <laughs> solving a problem over and over. We've never seen this happen. Um, you know, never being satisfied with the results, uh, avoiding problems whenever possible, um, and trying to solve everything without checking with the manager first to you know to find out if it's a problem that that really is uh, uh, on their plate. Um, could could you um, help us look at how we might support some of these different approaches we might find on our teams? And um, you know, to, to achieve the kind of results that we'd be looking to get from from the team. Yeah, actually, this is um, I, I I go back and kind of reread this chapter. It always brings a smile to my face because in this chapter um, we illustrate the four techniques in terms of problem solving with the four styles with with stories. So they're easy to relate to. But just to summarize problem solving um, with the four styles, and again, we can uh, start with a D just to keep you guys in organized, mentally organized here. Um, a D is all about finding a quick solution mm-hmm. to whatever problem that you've identified or that they've identified. And uh, when you are managing a D and working with a D in terms of problem solving, first and foremost, begin by expressing your confidence in their ability to figure this out. Mm-hmm. They don't look t- to you to solve the problem, um, but you might have to identify the problem and help them understand the problem and then really encourage them to look at it from all angles and uh, figure out a solution. So, again, it's kind of giving it the structure that it needs and then really getting out of the way. Um, so that's problem solving. You're, you'll get a solution with a D, but you really have to empower them to come up with the solution themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, problem solving with an I, first of all, um, eyes are so optimistic they very rarely see a problem. So <laughs> a lot of times it's your job <laughs> to point out a problem, and they, they honestly might be surprised. <laughs> um, they also really don't want to look that. So instinctively when a, a problem is pointed out to um, an I style employee, their initial reaction is going to be, oh, my gosh, what do other people think? Do they think I wasn't pulling my weight, or did they think I did something wrong? So just as a manager, make sure that you acknowledge um, their feelings in it. Mm-hmm. You want to let them know that you really value their insights, that uh, they need to not just stop there but really follow through and analyze the problem so that they can figure out what's going on so that they can look good, so yes. that people really will appreciate all the extra work they did, not just on the project, but on solving the problems. Um, with an S employee, um, again, S's are, um, they really, they listen very well. Um, they don't always uh, express themselves in a very forthright manner. So it's difficult for a high S to actually take the lead in problem solving. And as a manager, the best way to approach this is to tell them that you and the team really needs their help in solving this problem. 
So you're really directing them to solve the problem in the spirit of the team, in the spirit of collaboration. And uh, with that, you're going to get them to step into that. Their approach will um, probably be more step-by-step and methodical. And, again, you really need to coach them to kind of take um, an innovative approach or think outside the box. Um, You need to give them time to reflect. Don't expect them to think on their feet. High S's, when they're presented with a problem, will often go home and uh, come back the next day and say, you know, I've really thought about this, and here are a couple of alternatives. Maybe we can share these with the rest of the team and see what they think. (laughs) We need to allow that that to go on. At the same time, with a high S, it is important that you um, help them understand the urgency in solving the problem. Yeah. And um, our high C's... um, actually love problems because they (laughs) like to analyze them and come up with a solution. And I think one of the challenges with our C employees is that we have to figure out how to tell them not to be quite so thorough in some cases. You want to communicate to them that you really do value their analytical, systematic approach, Um, but you also have to be aware that they will want to take the time to find the perfect Solution, And you might have to suggest alternative techniques or um, point out to them that we could develop a short-term problem and then continue to work on that long-term. But right now we need, we need a quick resolution to this. I need your quick thinking. I need your careful analysis, but we have a limited amount of time in which we can do that. Yeah, excellent. Yeah, in, in, in another chapter, you you tackle the topic of feedback, and mm-hmm. uh, you know feedback is is so very critical. Uh, but often this is a skill that is not done real well by managers. I was wondering if you could discuss uh, this skill, you know, uh, briefly from the the perspective of the of this behavioral model, also, Julie. Yeah, it's not it's not a manager's favorite thing, but really, um, when your expectations are not met by your employees, so we have a gap. Mm-hmm. In terms of people's performance, it is our job and our obligation as a manager to give feedback in a constructive way. So constructive feedback is meant to be constructive. That's why it's called constructive <laughs> feedback. But your approach and how you give the feedback to each person um, can really differ. So, again, we'll go through these um, D, I, S, and C if that's helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, when you're giving feedback to a D, um, you really want to be very direct. Don't beat around the bush. Be very direct, but be direct about the result and mm-hmm. then the current level of performance so that they're seeing the gap. Mm-hmm. Don't dig in and pick things apart at the tactical level, but just say, you know, this is, this is we expected um, production to be at this level, and it's at this level, and that's impacting our revenue. Yeah. So that's the gap. Um, and then, again, turn it back to them and ask them to work out a plan for closing that performance gap and bring that plan to you. So you're really putting the responsibility for fixing it, and it's on them. So you're giving them the feedback that this isn't working, something's not right, I want you to fix it, and here's the time frame in which I want you to fix it. And when you do um, have that interaction with them, be ready for them. Be ready for action because they're going to come in and, you know, darn it, they're going to fix it. They're going to fix it fast, and you need to be strong. Um, you need to show respect for their abilities. You need to be communicating them in a very clear manner. But you need to tell them if something, if you don't think something's going to work, you need to be very clear with them. Don't beat around the bush. Don't hem and haw. And uh, you should err on the side of being frank versus being their friend. Yeah. They'll appreciate the frankness way more than the friendship. The I, on the other hand, wants friendship. <laughs> so when you're giving feedback to an I, um, again, it's real easy to soften it, to um, you know tell them how wonderful they are, et cetera, but you really have to, as a manager, very clearly state the performance problem, state the consequences, and uh, really resist the temptation to soften it. Right. So stay focused on the actions that they can improve, um, talk about the rewards of that improvement, including the chance to look good in the eyes of other people. So important. So make sure you, yeah, make sure you schedule time for follow-up. So this is you don't want to send them off as you would a D mm. and expect them to come back. You really want to give them some structure and then be available. Keep 
on topic on this when you're giving feedback to a high eye. Um, it's very likely that they'll change the topic. <laughs> so you'll find yourself discussing something that's totally unrelated because they have the ability to take the conversation there. So stay focused um, on the topic. And from their standpoint, they're more likely to accept your feedback if you stay focused on the positive part of it. Mm-hmm. Giving feedback to a uh, high S, um, you really, with a high S, want to recognize the need for improvement and the areas of good performance. So it's kind of, um, you know, this is what I like about what you've done this far. This is where I think we, we collectively, right. um, can improve. And I want to help you do that. So use a warm uh, reassuring style, and you are going to need to work closely with them to develop that plan. So you're really doing it and, and participating with them, and consider yourself um, a team member with the high S, developing a performance plan and making corrections with them side by side, and, and you'll see great results. Mm-hmm. And then in, continue to encourage them. You know, I'm things like I'm so glad to have you on my team, um, but there is one thing that I'd really like you to work on and then describe that one thing. Yes. So, and then lastly, giving feedback to a high C, um, go into it expecting defensiveness. Keep in mind that this individual probably Mm -hmm. spent way more hours than you even know about. Yeah. And you're going to um, tell them that there's a performance gap. You're going to get, um, they're going to be defensive with you. Of course. And when you're giving them the feedback, you really need to make sure that you're giving them very factual information about what the current results are, what the necessary improvements are, and then give them time to formulate a plan for improvement. Um, Ask them to come back with you with a plan, and you know what? They will come back with a very detailed plan, but you have to really um, keep it based on facts. A high C's biggest fear is that they'll be wrong. So if you say to them, you're wrong, (laughs) they're probably not going to want to fix the problem. But if you really say to them that we think that, you know, maybe this data isn't telling us what we think it is, let's (laughs) look at it again, or let's let's rerun these numbers, or to even acknowledge that sometimes the data is only part of the story, that we have to look at these other things and help them analyze that, and then set firm deadlines with them so that they can come back to you with a plan. Excellent. So that's some of the tips on um, giving feedback to DISMC. That's excellent. This is this is uh, this time has been just absolutely excellent. It's been just a really wonderful walkthrough of a lot of the great nuggets, not all, but many of the great things that are included in this book, Julie. And uh, you know, we really want to thank you again for this work because it's so practical for managers to pick it up with or without. Um, prior disc knowledge. Um, And uh, we wanted to remind folks in order to, uh, if they'd like to order a copy of the four-dimensional manager, that they can visit our website, which is teamapproach.com and click on the free stuff button uh, where they can find both archived uh, bookend session, but they can also find books that we featured uh, through the um, these sessions as well. And we, uh, uh, before we uh, open this up uh, uh, for questions or comments for Julie, I'd like to mention our May edition of Bookends where we will be featuring Nick McCormick. And Nick has written another great book for managers and supervisors. And on May 30th, we will be discussing his book, which is called Lead Well and Prosper. It has nothing to do with Star Trek. (laughs) And uh, I'd like to encourage those of you on the call uh, to invite supervisors and managers from your organizations to come to this session, which, uh, again, like today's session, will be very practical information for people that are uh, functioning in supervisory and management capacities. Um, We hope you'll visit our website, teamapproach.com, to register for uh, our upcoming bookend events. And if you're not on our bookends mailing list, you'll find an opportunity to subscribe to the bookends mailing list under that free stuff button that I mentioned a little earlier. I'm going to ask one final uh, question for you today, and uh, and that has to do with organizational culture, which you actually discuss towards the end of the uh, the book. And looking at culture from a behavioral perspective, we often talk about culture, but we you know often miss the fact that culture does have this behavioral component to it. Um, and I was wondering, you know, what does this mean for us, Julie? And how would we work with a culture? 
that may not match our personal needs in terms of our own behavioral style. So here I am, this, you know, off the chart, high D style, and I've just been hired to work in this nice high S culture. What am I going to do? <laughs> that, that, that's a really interesting um, question, Susan, because I think that as a manager, you, you want to assume that the managing relationship is between you and the employee. But there's kind of a third piece of that, and that is the behavioral culture of the organization. And I use the term behavioral culture because I want to make sure that people don't think I'm stretching this beyond um, behaviors. Culture can mean a lot of things to a lot of people. But from a behavioral standpoint, um, a lot of organizations actually um, have a culture, and you can kind of Read your cult, your organization style by asking yourself um, in your organization which DISC behaviors are modeled, mm-hmm. which DISC behaviors are rewarded, and which DISC behaviors are criticized. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times an organization's culture is not just an average of all the employee styles, but it's, um, it's actually in a lot of cases likely to reflect the most common DISC style of the upper management. Mm-hmm. And in some cases, it's the founder or the president or CEO that actually sets the tone. So what happens in an organization um, is an organization kind of takes on those characteristics. So a D organization um, probably uh, makes quick decisions. Um, they love challenges. They're very direct. They're forceful. So in, in a D organization, what gets rewarded is independence, winning, decisiveness, and what gets criticized is softness, foot dragging, or nitpicking. Mm-hmm. So if you're a D, you probably love that because you're at the same pace that the organization is. But if you're an I, an S, or a C, you might not feel like it's a very safe place to contribute in a way that's comfortable for you. Mm-hmm. So employees and managers kind of have to, have to figure that out. Um, an I organization probably is a very social organization. They put a lot of emphasis on relationships. Um, they believe that work can be fun. Southwest Airlines is probably a great example yeah. of an I organization. So they reward creativity, enthusiasm, passion. Um, they'll criticize dullness, ins- insensitivity, regulations that, that uh, don't allow the organization to be creative. Mm. Um, An S organization is an organization that really focuses on stability and uh, security. I think Johnson & Johnson is probably a good Mm -hmm. example of an S organization. Mm -hmm. Um, They focus on teamwork. It's a pleasant, relaxed atmosphere. They they reward cooperation, helpfulness, loyalty. Um, They criticize disruptiveness, pushiness, and strong individualism, putting more of the emphasis on on the team. Mm Now, if you're a high a D or an I within that, it might be too much teamness for you. You right. might not feel like you can stand out. So you have to balance that within the organization. And then lastly, um, an organization that takes on a C characteristic um, really models high standards, careful analysis, tact, diplomacy. Mm-hmm. Um, they tend to reward accuracy, completeness, um, on-time performance, dependability, and they criticize mistakes, sloppiness. Um, I think that uh, FedEx and UPS are actually examples of, of high C organizations where part of the nature of their work requires them to be on time and accurate. But if you look at the employees within that organization, they also value that. So, again, if you're an employee with that style, you probably feel like you fit in. But if you're not an, empo- an employee with us, that style, you might have to um, make decisions about whether – you need to include the organization style in your thinking or not. Mm-hmm. Um, major decisions, you should consider the organizational style. Um, minor decisions where you're really working with an employee as a manager, you may not have to consider the organizational style. Yeah. You can see how, how having this information... Can I ask a question, oh. Julie? Is that all that information in your book? It is. Actually, we, I kind of ended the book talking about organizational culture um, and how you manage in those four styles of organization. So that is uh, focused on Chapter 13 of the book. Great. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Other questions or comments for uh, Julie? We still have some, some few minutes remaining here. Julie, this is Peggy Stell. Yeah, Peggy. I 
just wanted to congratulate you and thank you because I haven't seen the book yet, but from what you're describing, it would be a fabulous leave behind or um, entry into helping teams work together and people manage. Mm-hmm. So thank, I thank you for that. Well, I hope you find it helpful, yeah. Well, I'll let you know. <laughs> Thanks, Paige. Hi, Julie. This is Jean Young. Yes, Jean. I have a question concerning the S. Style. Mm-hmm. Um, I heard your um, cues for coaching, um, and my question really is around when when you have an S who is in a role who really needs to act as a project manager, mm-hmm. and and where it really isn't always uh, workable for the direct supervisor to have to do all of that planning for them, so that they can then plan the project. Mm-hmm. And, and be the project manager. Um, what are your recommendations in that particular case? Because it, it feels as if the the direction in coaching them would be that the manager really needs to take on the work of doing all the planning for them. Mm-hmm. Well, I, first of all, don't confuse um, skill development with, with DISC. You really need to make sure that the people that you are asking to accomplish things or lead a team do, in fact, have the right, you know, the skills to do that. But as far as an S actually taking on a leadership role, um, simply recognize that they will want to do it in a very team-oriented manner. So being a leader and demonstrating leadership as an S leader means that I'm going to want to build consensus. And that's, that's how they're going to approach it. It's not that you're necessarily doing the work for them, but as a manager, you probably want to monitor that and make sure that they are stepping out when it's appropriate for them to step out um, after they have built consensus. But give them the time to build that consensus. Make sure they're headed in the right direction, and then they, they will step up. They will step up and lead, but they'll do it through consensus, not just where the D is going to say, this is how we're doing it, get on board or, or don't. Okay. That's very that helpful. Yeah, yes, welcome, it does. Yeah. Thank you. You're welcome, Jean. Other questions? I hear people working in the background. You know what that means, Julie? I think it means we've come to the end. (laughs) I think perhaps you're right. Um, And I really, truly wanted to thank you once again for being our guest today on Bookends. It's been so much fun to uh, interact with you in this medium and uh, to share this wonderful book with with everyone on the call and for those that listen to the uh, recorded podcast. So uh, we thank you and appreciate you for for this work and for your time today. And uh, for Bookends, I am Susan Stamm, and I hope to see you all next month. Goodbye.